Extraordinary. Leader. Innovative. Integrity. Honest. Courageous. Curious. Thoughtful. Brave. Unafraid. There is a place where technology and art meet, where work and play are one and the same. When the threads of curiosity are pulled in this place, the spark of innovation ripples across industries. Those who make this place their home are giants, titans who pursue creative passion while leaving their mark. Creative. Flexible. Brilliant. Clever. Confident. They are courageous thought leaders set on changing the practice of dentistry and their corner of the world. More than the sum of their parts, we deconstruct the traits that bind these uncommon innovators. Humble, daring, disciplined, playful, principled, spontaneous. To discover what makes them contrary to ordinary, where we explore the extraordinary. Hi there, I'm Dr. Kim Cooch, host and founder at Carry Free. I'm fascinated by what makes the paradigm shifters, world shakers, and art makers tick. Let's embark on a journey. Extraordinary is a place where ordinary people choose to exist. Together, we will trek the peaks of possibility, illuminate the depths of resilience, and navigate the boundless landscape of innovation. To discover how some of the most innovative dentists and thought leaders unlocked their potential and became extraordinary. On this season of Contrary to Ordinary, we explore the motivation, lives, and character of the innovators who see limitless potential around them. The people behind some of the largest paradigm shifts in the practice of dentistry. This is part two of my interview with Rella Christensen, the co-founder and former director of Clinical Research Associates Foundation, She's also current team leader at Technologies and Restoratives and Carries Research, otherwise known as Track Research, and an all-around extraordinary person. Last time, Rella was about to dive into the topic of air abrasion, a popular method for removing decayed material from teeth in the 1990s. Rella thought to ask the question, how safe was air abrasion for dentists? We were really concerned because uh, most most of us went home with, with that sand in our ears and in our nose and in our eyelashes and <laughs> eyebrows and hair and, and, you know, the whole thing. And, and you know, I began to, to really worry about this, these silicon particles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was our actually the second time we'd looked at, at the operatory air right. when we looked at it at that time. And uh, that was the first time we looked at what they call the FFUs, uh, the yeah. the uh, types of, of equipment that blow down. Right. And those became a way of purifying air when really I think it came a lot of it from the CDC and some of their work with the cabinets, uh, oh, right. the hoods yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that we... Uh, there are fume hoods, and then there are biological hoods. It became huge and, and more known to people when they started making the microchips. And, and they needed a very oh, yeah. clean a very environment. sterile, clean. Uh, where they actually, I've been in one place where the, the floor is actually a steel grid, and they're pulling the air they're pushing it down from the ceiling and pulling it in and recirculating it through right. HEPA filters yeah. to have virtually no dust. Right. 
It isn't just dust. It's yeah. any kind of particles, which right. could be microbes, could be little tiny hairs. It could be could be errant DNA and RNA right. uh, floating through the air. And right. It could be microbes. Uh, um, it, it could be a lot of things. Well, one of the theories, IPF, is that it's a chronic subclinical inflammatory process. Well, see, there's your problem because you dentistry hasn't paid attention. And from the continuous daily exposure to fragments of microbial DNA that don't create a clinical symptomatic outcome, mm -hmm. but you have this long chronic subclinical inflammation in the lungs that ultimately becomes scar tissue and you lose your ability to you know, like breathe essentially yeah. i mean it destroys the lungs and the well idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis the, the lungs turn to fiber right you can't live without lungs right yeah you, they, they can't expand and they, contract properly exactly right and you don't get the oxygen exchange mm -hmm. and scar tissue is not lung tissue We as a profession haven't really taken seriously the risk of these microbial DNA fragments posed to our long-term health. Rella has been following this trail for a while now and has unearthed some interesting results in her latest two-year study. One of the major findings was by converting a dental operatory for, and I'm talking about a restorative dentist here right. because there's some... Yeah aspects of dentistry where it's not as big of a problem. But with a restorative dentist, and we'll talk about the hygienist separately in a moment here, but turning that operatory into a negative airspace didn't solve the problem. Really? It didn't solve the problem. And I'll tell you what we found out why. Anybody that is using a rotary instrument in the oral cavity spins out the saliva and Whatever else, what's being cut now? Right. If you look at some of yeah, our, our calculations, <laughs> I just assume not <laughs> of the numbers of organisms in a caries lesion. Oh, millions and millions. Oh, millions. Yeah, and and we're flipping that out. Right. Uh, and this one of the reasons that we've calculated, we've taken the time to calculate the numbers of organisms. Is I want dentistry to understand what they're up against. Yeah, they have no idea. Yeah. No idea. Billions of organisms in some of these lesions, and they're just flipping that right out into the Into their own breathing zone. But and, the, here's the problem. It uh -huh. flips out at a speed up to 47 miles an hour. Yep. And so it's flipping out at in such a, a velocity that it'll go clear down and hit the wall on the other side of the patient's feet. Yeah. And normal air circulating equipment can't stop it and draw it in. Yeah. It needs to be super strong. Yeah. And you work with a device that was a suction device. We could make it happen with a suction device if it exceeded 200 CFM. Right. But by then it was so noisy. Oh, yeah. Now you're into 70, and 76 decibels. Yeah, that nobody could really uh, operate yeah. there. Uh, you know, we also worked with devices where the patient's head was completely uh, encased and yep. everything was happening. You could learn to operate like that because, look, 
physicians operate with endoscopes. Oh yeah, and and they're they're operating out here, and you're sitting oh, yeah. six it, feet away robotic, in an operating robotic yeah. surgery today is like so, yeah. I mean, we definitely could learn to operate like that, and that too would solve the problem. Uh-huh. But where we are today in dentistry, um, we found that even. FFU fan filter unit is what that stands for. And we found that even most of them wouldn't do it. We could only find one Uh that really properly uh, cleared the air in the breathing zone. But because we couldn't suck it up down here, that meant that... that It went all over. That it was was on the patient, on the clinician. So that means you've got to be using... Covering, you've got to be using your your uh, and, yeah. yes, uh, uh, and your disinfectants and right. so on, and you've got to be having a hard floor that you can at least mop. You're not right. going to sterilize it, but yeah. you're also not going to eat off of it either. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. we just need to get it good and clean. Uh, but we found that that was actually the best uh, solution in today's technology. Uh-huh. Uh, in in tomorrow's technology. They'll probably be doing dentistry in a bubble or the technology that I described to you, sucking it from the bottom and pouring all, it out the top. All the way the through top. the floor, yeah. Because, see, the breathing zone, we could count next oh, to and even sometimes zero particles in the actual breathing zone. Now, bear in mind, the, the clinicians had on uh, facial covering. Right. And you would still wear that, but still we could clean the air till it was really perfectly clean yeah now in in your microchip industry you'll notice they they totally cover because they don't want the droplets yeah they don't want anything yeah, yeah. No, uh, onto their onto their microchips yeah. uh but you know we we definitely know how to clean it up uh-huh. and we needed to do that for our carries work because when we want to publish this information we've got to be able to publish our controls right. and say we can prove to you in all these places that were cultured all through the operation that they were sterile. So and that, that this, anything that we report had right. to had to come from the lesion yep. only. Yep. And uh, that'll the burden of that proof is on us because mm-hmm. you know they'll see some of these organisms that yeah. you don't think of in a lesion. Yeah. And but let's talk about why they're there. Kim, they're there because Anything you put in your mouth is covered with organisms, and it's warm, and there's plenty of nutrient, and it's moist. Those guys are going to hang around, and they might even establish a home. It's the human human incubator, right? Well, you know, you put objects in your mouth. Oh, yeah. uh, We found some soil organisms. How did those get there? Did we screw up? And and. It just happened to be at a time when it was the spring and the berries were on. Oh, yeah. And my colleague Brad came in one morning. He says, oh, he says, I've, I've picked these blackberries. He said, oh, yeah. they're just so good. I went out this morning and I just picked them right off the vine and ate them. And I thought, that's how we get the dirt. Oh, yeah. Because, of course, there's dirt all over those. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. and all of us do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even yeah, if yeah. when you get berries like it uh, or fruit or something Wherever. like at the yeah. grocery yeah, store, yeah. it says wash them. But do you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten better at doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so it's um, 
Uh, it, it's an interesting thing, clearing the air. What do you think is the future of dentistry with the air? We're going to have to have a pandemic that kills people who are dentists, who we can say it hit dentistry worse than something else. Now, let me tell you about the hygienist. That was yeah. declared the most dangerous profession. Uh -huh. And, of course, the hygienists, you can't blame them. They left the profession in droves. Oh, yeah. They said, look, it's yeah. not worth it. I've got kids. I've got a husband. Uh, I've got a life. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but we've actually found that, yes, they have lots of particles, but a, most of it is water. Right. It's attached to water. Most of it yeah. is water and yeah. organisms attached to that water. And of the actual microbe, it is the the restorative dentist cutting yeah. on a carious tooth, and it doesn't even need to be carious because of the saliva is just loaded with microbes. Oh, yeah. It's anybody using a rotary instrument, and, and that would go for like orthopedic surgeons. Oh, yeah. Possibly oral surgeons. For sure. Uh, anybody that is using this high-speed rotary. It doesn't yep. need to be a air turbine. It can be yeah. It can be any electric, kind of rotary. Uh, the electrics yeah. are just as, I think. Uh, exactly. It could be a profi cup. Yeah, yeah. But the hygienists are not the most. Uh, They're not as, as at risk as the restorative dentist. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. But yet we found that most were interested in the information but had no intention of really changing much right. and have tried to calm patients' fears yeah. because you need a fairly strong system to prepare that operatory for the next patient. Right. Now, see, this, this fan filter, the best one that right. we found, will clear that operatory out. If you just empty it out and everything is closed right. and you just let it work, it'll do it in a matter of minutes. The results of Rella's tests on the air quality of the examination space are truly shocking. And I really do hope that publishing the results will help wake up the profession to the harm that is being done to its practitioners. You can probably tell by now that Rella has always worked really hard. Has she ever managed to achieve the elusive work-life balance? Well, I did have a balance once, Kim, but it only lasted for about 60 seconds, <laughs> and I've never had a good balance. I, I'm always too heavy on the work. Uh -huh. uh, it's just that, that perfectionist but personality. But, but, but do you see it as work? Or is I it? really enjoy it, but other people see it as work. Right. And, and, you know, you have to be careful that, that you've set aside enough time for your family and your right. people relationships. Right. So, you, yeah. So you're fully present wherever you're at at the time, but when you're here, it doesn't seem like you're working. Like I look yeah. at you and it looks like you are having fun, like you're pursuing your curiosity I'm, I'm and passion. I'm vitally interested in what I do and, and what I did with at least the two boys is I brought them in here. Right. And, and they worked, they enjoyed earning the money, but they also, I had time uh -huh. with them. All right. Gordon has always been very permissive uh, about this because he works all the time. Right. 
So it's kind of a good thing for him that you stayed yeah. busy while he was yeah. focused on his passion as well. Yeah, and and we understand each other well that right. way, and have lots of uh, empathy and sympathy. Uh, you know, there are yeah. times you really would like to rest, but you've committed yourself and you can't. And he's never he's, never criticized me for it. what he does criticize me for is being so single minded. He says, you know, he says all I need to do is just slam the door and lock you in the lab and. Push your dinner under the door about every 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been very supportive, you he know, and, I, and I've seen that from Gordon, too. The times I've been here, yeah, yeah, he has. you know, Gordon. Will very have. supportive uh, and, and, and a mentor at the same time. Rella may not have figured out how to achieve the perfect work-life balance, but at least she had Gordon supporting her during her long nights of work and study. Rella is a pioneer in many ways, but what was her experience of building her career in a space dominated by men? I only felt it once when I really felt a barrier, and that was when I wanted to do a basic science PhD at BYU. Bear in mind, I was already 42. The thought was, well, you're middle-aged, you're a woman, and you'll be taking a place from one of our bright young men. Right. Since then, even while I was still in my graduate program, uh -huh. everything changed right there right. at BYU. They actually started looking for women coming back to school. They they started what they called a re-entry program uh -huh. aimed at, at women that had gone, let's say, to a bachelor's or maybe didn't didn't even get their bachelor's and yeah. were entering now. You helped break that glass ceiling. Well, I don't know if I helped break it, but I was right on that edge of it. As, as the <laughs> ceiling right broke, you were there. <laughs> yeah. 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 So another good question I've got for you is, so looking at your life, what would you consider your greatest success? Kim, you could ask that question to a lot of people, and they would answer it many different ways. Yeah. But my life has had two very definite halves. Uh -huh. And the hardest thing I ever did was be a mom uh -huh. and raising up three good kids who are good citizens and contributing and uh -huh. good people that was the hardest thing I did because at a certain point, you lose all control. Right. You have no say. Yeah. In fact, yeah. you hesitate yeah. to say because the chances are it'll push them in a direction you don't want them to go. Whereas professionally, bear in mind, I, I was almost 50 when, when I was really starting. I had credentials and could start in a, things I was really interested in. And by then... My kids were reared. Yeah. So if I were to look professionally, I would say that I was given an, a mission by Gordon. And it sounds funny, but I was so naive, I took it seriously. When we started CRA, I was uh -huh. working on a resin-based composite finishing system for a company, Kerr. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. And Gordon just came in one night and he said, you know, he said, what I want you to find is a material that lasts and handles like gold, but it's white. 
And, you know, I was so dumb. I just <laughs> took that right on and scoured the world. We've worked with all kinds of ceramics and polymers and unique materials that don't fall into that category. And about two-thirds of the way through it, I could see that anything that was white, the, the old PFM era, right. that was really expensive. Oh, yeah. And people that single moms and college students and anybody was struggling a little bit, they weren't going to get it. Yeah. And uh, basically, I started talking about something that the people in Europe understood. I wanted to have something like, I called it uh, a Volkscrown, uh-huh. V-O-L-K-S. Right, right. A German word for folks or right. the common man. Right, yeah. And uh, it was kind of like the very popular time Volkswagen, which right. was actually developed by Hitler and his oh, yeah. regime. Can, yeah. uh, he wanted a small, solid uh, little car that could go on these Autobahns and, and last for a good long time. And and that was a, an innovation uh, during that time. And I was looking for this crown. If a person had a, a highly involved tooth that wasn't, you know, a, a five-surface five restoration yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that really needed a crown but wasn't going to have a chance of getting it. And I would say, honestly, that one of the most interesting things that we did was to follow Bruxer. Mm. Because at the time it came to the market, I don't think there was anybody that was positive about it except possibly Jim Glidewell himself. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a feeling that, that look, what, what, wait, I mean, it's fine as a substructure material, but, but, but as a, a, a full contour crown, it's going to wear the dickens out of the opposing. It's ugly to look at. Uh, we can't cast it, so, so how are we going to make it, you, you yeah. know? and. Just all kinds of impediments all along the way. And as we took on that project, we compared it nose to nose with Emacs. Uh-huh. And we thought Emacs would just trip it up in no time. And the person at Glidewell that was in charge of producing these crowns for our study, he actually separated his Pross lab in half. He said, this half is going to make Emacs, which is going to win, and this half is going to make this stupid Bruxer, uh, which is never going to make it. And, yeah. and uh, basically, it was the lab was almost competing on the two sides uh-huh. of the aisle. The way it turned out, you know, that came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. And First of all, it was called Bruxer, which right. would sent this huge message to the dentist that oh, right, it could be is... used on a patient that had Bruxing habits. Right. <laughs> and we'd never recommended uh, a ceramic for those people. Secondly, it gets introduced at $99 a crown. If you could scan it, which would be unusual in those days, yeah. you'd get another $25 off if you sent in your scan. And usually your lab bill was what about three hundred a crown, oh, yeah. and, and this yeah. this was ninety nine, and you could get it down to about seventy five if you did your own. Which is scanning. just unheard of. Yeah, and and you know, and and right at the end of the recession, so here we have coming into play 
something that is white, it's, it's economical, uh, and Jim Glidewell said it could have a preparation like a gold casting, which meant yeah. minimal removal of yeah. tooth structure. And, you know, all of us at, at this lab, we just felt like it, it didn't have a chance. Right. And they were placed uh, like that with yeah. a minimal prep, whereas the, the Emaxes oh, had, yeah, a, had a much more substantial cutting away of the right. tooth, more than double as much. And then to watch it all of these years as it as it came along, that's that's one of the really interesting uh, things that, that you've in, in, in my career. Uh -huh. The microbiology stands alone. I think that we have proven a theory by a fellow by the name of Marsh in England. His his theory, the ecological theory. Yeah that it isn't really any one organism and maybe not even any group of organisms that causes caries. It's the environment in the oral cavity that the patient creates uh -huh. through various things. It can be a diet. Uh, it, it can be chemicals yep. uh, like marijuana and meth. and something. It can be lack of saliva, medications. Because of, yeah. Because yeah. of medications sure. or these habits. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And, even vaping. And all of these kinds yeah. of things, the patient creates this environment uh, right. in their oral cavity and organisms that maybe you wouldn't think of as caries yeah. causing can switch on certain enzymes and, and become another person, so to speak. Right, right. Join and the party. Function in, in yeah. a different way. And when I yeah. look at like this guy down oh, yeah. here uh, with all of these and so we've been trying to figure out, okay, how do we communicate this to the profession? We can make these maps of a lesion that are very accurate, but there's so much to look at. How do we communicate it so you can just look and just see? Yeah. And we've finally learned how to do that. Now oh. what we've got to do is publish it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know yeah. what our biggest problem is? We started our work as loners, and um, we don't have an IRB. Ah, uh, uh. <laughs> one patient led to another. Oh, you're right. Yeah, uh, and yeah. here's all this vast accumulation of information uh, that I yeah. don't know where or how we'll ever be able to publish it. We'll just have to see. Yeah, either that or start it again. I find it truly astounding how much self-funded and important research Rella has engaged over the course of her career. It's probably not going to surprise anyone to hear that Gordon is the person Rella admires the most in the world. Hands down, I have seen this man do miracles in the oral cavity. I, I admire some other people that are that same caliber that are so creative uh -huh. with how they can make things go. I've learned to know these people in the Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry. Yeah. Ronnie Goldstein is yeah. one. Uh, Dr. John Coyce is another yeah. one. There are a whole group of them uh, that helped to start that academy that, that were just giants oh, uh, yeah. in their area. And I never would have, first of all, known about the academy. Second of all, wouldn't have been able to attend if it hadn't been for Gordon. He was yeah. always hauling me along. So he's been a, a tremendous mentor. 
and an amazing person to watch. Uh, he can place gold foil without a problem, which a lot of dogs struggle with. Yeah. Uh, he knows occlusion. Nobody places a rubber dam like Gordon. Yeah. I think of Gordon, I think of his passion, you know. For and he's, he's the, uh, what's this bunny? The, 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 the bunny that keeps oh, the going, the Energizer bunny. Energizer yeah, yeah, bunny. yeah. I was going to say his drive. He runs circles around and, everybody, yeah. And I think um, the difference that he's made for so many dentists in their lives, in, well, just in terms of the education. he takes things and he boils them down to their lowest denominator. Right, simplifies and, and it. So makes that, it so that it seems easy. And, you know, yeah. you can watch him. I've, I've assisted him for years. I thought, gee, you know, I think I can do this. <laughs> Because <laughs> he talks while he's he's he, he's working. Yeah. Now I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this because it needs this. And he's just kind of talking, really kind of to himself and to the patient. And you're just watching all of this happen. Um, yeah, yeah, it, he's he's amazing. But these other people, I'm not naming. I'm missing so many of them. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today, Rel. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. It's truly amazing to look back on everything Rella has accomplished. She's not only a curious person, but someone who's willing to go the distance if they think that what they're digging into could help others. As a co-founder of Rolls-Royce, Sir Henry Royce said, take the best that exists and make it better. If it doesn't exist, create it. Thanks so much to Rella Christensen for building the organizations we needed to drive change. And thank you for coming on this journey with me today. Around here, we aim to inspire and create connections. We can't do it without you. If this conversation moved you, made you smile, or scratched that little itch of curiosity today, please share it with the extraordinary people in your life. And if you do one thing today, let it be extraordinary. Extraordinary.